based on the terrifying, best-selling novel by Peter Straub. Put together a gloomy New England house, a dark night, and four of America's legendary leading men, and you have all the ingredients for the classic ghost story. A spellbinding motion picture based on the bestseller by Peter Straub. Co-starring Patricia Neal, Ghost Story is about the members of the Chowder Society, Fred Astaire, Melvin Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., and John Houseman, who get together each week to share tales of horror. Soon, however, a secret terror invades the group, and one by one they die mysteriously because of a real-life ghost story that is part of their past. The time has come to tell the tale. Strap in, cryptids. This one's a real chiller. Based on the 1979 novel by Peter Straub, Ghost Story is a 1981 American supernatural horror film directed by John Irvin. With a screenplay by Lawrence D. Cohen and produced by Burt Weisbord, sorry Burt if I butchered your name, the cast of characters would include Fred Astaire as Ricky Hawthorne, Tim Choate as Young Hawthorne, Melvin Douglas as Dr. John Jaffrey, Mark Chamberlain as Young Jaffrey, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. as Edward Charles Wanderley, Kurt Johnson as Young Wanderley, John Houseman as Sears James, Ken Olin as Young James, Craig Wasson as Don David Wanderley. Freddy Krueger fans would remember him as Dr. Neil Gordon in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Patricia Neal as Stella Hawthorne, Alice Krij, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, as Eva Galley, Alma Mobley. Jack Willen Brooks as Millie Jaffrey, Miguel Fernandez as Gregory Bate, Lance Holcomb as Finney Bate, Brad Sullivan as Sheriff Hardesty, Michael O'Neill as Churchill, Guy Boyd as Omar Norris, Robin Curtis as Ray Denham, and James Green as the Mailman. Ghost Story was the final film for Astaire and Fairbanks, the final completed film for Douglas, sadly he died four months before the film's release, and the first film to feature Michael O'Neill. The film was shot in Woodstock, Vermont, Saratoga Springs, New York, and at the Stetson University in Deland, Florida. Ghost Story was released in the United States on December 18, 1981. After this break, we'll plunge into this terrifying tale. Welcome back to the Crypt of Horrors. I wanted to do this film because as we head into January, this is kind of the coldest month in Ohio, and quite frankly, I really just wanted to revisit the movie. I love this movie. And love it or hate it, you can feel the cold in this movie. The film opens with a very snow-covered, picturesque New England town. It's really quite a beautiful view. Um, It looks like something you'd see in a Thomas Kincaid painting. As we take in this view, you then hear what sounds like a woman whimpering. We then cut to what appears to be the living room of Chowder Society member Sears James, who appears to just be pacing with his pipe in hand. And then we cut to several scenes of other society members who appear to be sharing a nightmare, as if they're all being haunted. After the opening credits, we then cut back to the living room of society member Sears, and it looks like all the society members have gathered to hear him tell a story. A little after midnight, the old caretaker was awakened by a terrible sound, whimpering pitifully. The sound came again, faintly. Only this time, he was sure it was human. The graveyard was silent except for the steady padding of his feet and the 
as he went around the tombstones. Hello, someone there, someone. There was nothing, no one. As he stood there, scratching his head, feeling something of a damn fool, he happened to look down. And there at his feet, someone had been buried that very afternoon. Grave had been disturbed, the soil was upset, and the cross lay on its side. Respect, he muttered, sure now that he was the butt of a practical joke. So he smoothed out the soil and set the cross back upright at the head of the grave, and then he went back to his bed. Outside, in the graveyard, in the wind, there was still a faint wisp of sound, almost like a song, alive, still alive. Now, this is a 1981 film, so it may or may not still have the impact on you that it once had, depending on who you are and how easy or difficult you scare. But I can tell you when I first saw this as just a young lad, it definitely got my attention. Now, back in the probably about the mid 80s was the big recordable VHS boom and We had channels like the Movie Channel and HBO, and that's what many of us would do is record movies from those stations onto recordable VHS tapes. And I believe that's how I first saw this movie, if I recall correctly. Um, I noticed uh, going through my dad's tape collection, um, had him in a case, um, that was one of about four movies that was on this uh, recordable VHS that he probably recorded from the movie channel. That was his favorite um, pay channel back then. Um, we did have like HBO and stuff, but the movie channel was his go-to. Now, I have since purchased this movie on a DVD, and oh my goodness, the picture and sound quality improvement from that recordable VHS tape to the DVD... I highly recommend this purchase. So basically the purpose of this society is, I guess if you want to call it one-upping each other or sharing stories and seeing who can scare who the worst, you know, like all good friends do growing up. But that's pretty much what they would do is they'd get around and tell stories and see how they can scare. And after Sears finishes with this bone-chilling story, they all comment on how bad he got him now as they all prepare to depart and uh get ready to toast to the chowder society the edward charles character kind of makes this prediction that you kind of know this come true honestly on the outside of the movie that in 10 years from now 80 percent of the country would only be uh wearing suits and ties to funerals and weddings that is of course in reference to the fact that they dress up very nicely just to sit around and tell these stories. We cut from the James residence to what appears to be a very tall apartment building with an overflowing bathtub. Here we see the uh, character David Wonderly, played by Craig Wasson, one of two characters that Craig plays. I actually find it amusing how they do this because the only difference between the two characters is the hairstyle and the mustache. But here we see a kind of worried David questioning a very naked girl on the bed, asking her who she is and what she is. Feeling quite creeped out, he sits down on the bed and touches her and comments on how cold she feels. And then he gets up and goes around the bed and asks her, what are you? To this, she plays head games and gives strange answers, and he goes to roll her over, and we see the first creepy scene in the movie. She appears to be a corpse, which of course startles him, and he kind of stumbles backwards and falls off the balcony to his death. Next, we're in the home of Don Wonderly, who is apparently getting startled from sleep by a call from what appears to be his estranged father, 
Edward Wonderly. He's pleading for Don to come home because his brother just had a bad accident. In the next few minutes, we see why their relationship is strained because the father is one of those who can't be pleased and doesn't want to listen. Don was trying to explain that he doesn't believe that his brother's death was an accident and that he was familiar with the woman that David was with and that he even slept with her, to which his father was clearly not wanting to hear. What we don't know yet, and we'll find out later, is that the Chowder Society has a very dark secret that they thought was buried, but is coming back to haunt them. After David's funeral, Don comes back to his father's house to find him apparently having a nightmare. As Don is heading off to bed, an emotional Edward tells Don that he's all he has left, and asks him to stick around for a few days so... They can maybe do some things together. We then cut to Ricky Hawthorne, played by legendary screen actor Fred Astaire in his final performance. What we as the audience see and hear is uh, a woman laughing as the door opens with the light behind it. And Ricky is startled awake by his wife. As he is sweating and clearly distraught from the nightmare he just had, she offers him a glass of water, I guess to help calm his nerves, and asks if he wants to talk about it, to which he declines. And then she blames his nightmares on the stories they tell. Sound familiar? She asks what the old fools are up to, to which he sarcastically replies, Black magic. We then come back to the Wanderly household where now Edward is having a bad nightmare uh, regarding what would have been his son David's wedding. Uh, Don hears him kind of whimpering in his sleep and comes in to check on him. As Don heads back to bed, we hear what sounds like whimpering. The next morning, we see Edward leaving his home as if being compelled to. And we see him pass the postman who is trying to offer his condolences for his loss, but he's paying no attention and starts calling for his son. And ahead of him, we see what appears to look like his son as he follows him calling his name and is led to a bridge. The mailman, finding his behavior odd, kind of watches as he approaches the bridge and questions what he's doing. Uh, it looks like he's talking to someone who's not there, and uh, he keeps calling his son's name, and then he hears his name being called from behind him by a woman's voice, and turns to see uh, what looks like a horrible corpse facing him, which of course startles him, and he ends up falling off the bridge to his death. We then see a truck driver, who apparently saw what happened, jumps out of his truck, and runs to the bridge to see if there's anything he can do, and then we hear some giggling off to the side, and we pan over to see what appears to be a blurred image of a feminine shape. We then see the remaining Chowder Society members arriving at Sears's workplace in an excited conversation, and not the good kind of excited. They're all clearly distraught over what appears to be Edward's suicide and arguing amongst each other whether it actually was suicide or something else. Back at the Wonderly home, we see Don compelled to go through his father's photographs and he finds one with the very young Chowder Society with a familiar looking woman in the photograph but with a blurred face. We cut back to a conversation between Sears and Ricky, and Sears appears to be in denial, whereas Ricky appears to really be shaken up and thinks that the dreams that they have all been having mean something. Next, Ricky goes to this old abandoned-looking house that you'll learn some things about later, but I love this house. I mean, the appearance of this house... If you're a horror fan, it looks spooky, and I love it. I, w I would totally own this house and gladly dress it up every year for Halloween. Matter of fact, it'd be Halloween year-round. It's a gorgeous house. You as the audience hears a feminine giggle from somewhere in the room, and Ricky kind of 
shivers a little bit, and then ascends the staircase. You hear more giggling and noticed Ricky's curiosity has peaked. He kind of scans the room a little bit in curiosity and then goes through another door and then notices a young boy sitting in the floor over by a broken window and starts talking with him. Another bigger boy enters the room twirling a woman's hat in his finger. Both boys uh, look dirty and like they haven't eaten in a while, and uh, Ricky starts lecturing the older boy about why he's there and that he's trespassing, and the older boy argues back that he's not trespassing because he knows the owner. It's about to get good. Both boys start taunting Ricky until he backs away and flees the house. Now keep in mind, before you start judging these boys, they're really not the bad guys. This group has a dark secret. As we see Ricky kind of fleeing outside, we hear a woman's giggle again, and then we pan back inside the house uh, to the room where the boys are, and as we see the door kind of closing, we hear the older boy talking to a woman who wasn't there before. Next, we see Ricky at the police department uh, going through police records and identifying Gregory Bate as the boy he just talked to. We hear the church bells ringing for the funeral of David's father. Remember, he's the one who was scared and appeared to have jumped off the bridge to his death. David, clearly distraught over his father's passing, meets with Ricky goes to shake his hand and Ricky tells him to meet him in a half an hour. We then see a police car sliding down the road past the cemetery getting a transmission from uh, dispatch talking about the boys who escaped from a mental hospital and how the one boy who appeared to be part of a cult. The cop arrives at the house and then we cut back to uh, David having lunch with Ricky. Ricky starts making small talk about sidewalks, and then David cuts to the chase and says, You didn't bring me here to talk about sidewalks, did you? Ricky says no and starts talking about how he thinks that they're all in danger, especially the Chowder Society. David then pulls the photo out of his pocket and asks Ricky who the woman is. We then cut back to the house where the cop is investigating, and though he will never admit it, you can see that he's quite uneasy as he checks things out and uh, then he's startled by a bird. We then see David in the basement of his dad's house kind of checking things out and then he notices a strange noise upstairs and goes up to investigate. As he goes up and starts looking around then he hears what sounds like an elevator lowering and then you see an elevator lowering and Gregory Bate is standing inside, and you can clearly see the fear on David's face. He, he's just taken beside himself, and as Gregory steps off the elevator, he starts quoting Psalm 23. David cuts him off, asking him how he got in there. Then Gregory, honestly sounding sarcastic, says such tragedy, and says so, so sorry for his loss. Now I have to correct myself because I apparently got the characters confused here. This is not David. This is Don Wonderly in his father's house um, getting scared by Gregory Bate as he grabs a fire poker in a threatening manner. Greg introduces himself to Don and kind of taunts him, asking him if he's afraid and starts to talk about such wonderful treats that are in store for him and his friends. At the height of Don's anxiety, Greg calls out Finney, who is hiding behind the railing, who pulls a necklace out of his mouth, and Greg says it's a gift from their lady friend. Or rather, Greg calls it a gift from their benefactor. As the boys exit the Wonderly home, we cut back to Sears James' home, where the remaining members of the Chowder Society are having a meeting. Ricky brings up to the other two that uh, Don found a photograph. And the other two were like, how? I thought we got rid of everything. And he said, apparently Edward kept one. And he found it. And they asked Ricky if uh, he said anything. He said, 
No, but he wanted to because he likes the boy. We're starting to see the pieces of this puzzle get put together. As they debate with one another whether or not they should let Don in on what they know, uh, Ricky gives his feelings on how more of them are going to die, and Don suddenly chimes in that he thinks he's right. Don suddenly appears in the doorway and enters the room and tells them that he believes that they are dealing with a ghost story and asks about joining the club and with a price. And, of course, Sears like, with a what? He's like, with a story. Story's a price of admission, right? So he proceeds to tell the story that he tried to tell his dad that his dad refused to listen to. The story of how, as he was attending this college, um, he met a very attractive woman and started to see her. And as things went on and on, and they dated and fooled around and did some things, he started to notice some things were just off. Everything seems normal enough as they progress in this relationship, getting closer and fooling around and then she just starts to act strange and starts to say strange things and act strangely. Much like earlier in the movie, uh, she did with David. Yes, same girl. There's a fairly passionate love scene during a thunderstorm. And then in the next day, uh, we see Dawn asking her questions, you know, trying to get to know her, trying to find out where she's from and stuff, and she keeps avoiding the questions. We see them getting to know each other around campus and going out to eat and fooling around in the bathroom, and um, all this time, Dawn is trying to get to know her, and she just keeps avoiding it, and then we see them in the bathtub, and Dawn is insisting on getting to know her more. While they're in the tub, Don decides to be playful and grab her by the legs and playfully pull her underwater. And she kind of stays under uncomfortably long. Then all of a sudden, she just reemerges and screams strangely. And you'll find out later why. Next, uh, David wakes up. Uh, they're both in bed and he wakes up and just sees her just naked staring at him strangely. And he's just taken aback, and he's like, what is it? And she just says, water. And then just gently falls back to the bed asleep. She just begins to act very strange. The next day, we see it's quite beautiful, and Don is pouring glasses of wine for them, and he kind of proposes to her, asks her for her hand in marriage. And they start talking about places that they would like to get married. He starts coming up with places that he thinks that she would like to go. But then she brings up how she'd like to go back to his hometown. To meet his family and stuff. And He's quite dismissive of it. But you can tell here that he's really estranged from his family. She asks about his parents and he says that his mother's been dead a while. She asks about his father, and he says, well, my father and I don't get along all that well. She said, surely this must be different. This is our wedding. Then she asks about his brother, and he says, well, he's more like my father, I guess. Successful, ambitious. Don sits down with his drink, and as if though trying to talk her out of it, he's like, you don't really want to get married in Melbourne, do you? She says, I want to get married in a town where you grew up. Here's an English girl who is very attractive somewhat of a nympho, and she's all into you. What's not to love? But if you pay attention to what she says next, it really makes sense in the end why she wants to do all this. She wants to make a big show of it, and it'll make sense later. Next, we see Don getting up out of bed at what I guess is the middle of the night, even though when he walks into the other room, it looks kind of daylight outside. But we see her kind of standing at the screen, just staring out at the sea and just acting strange. Then in kind of a creepy whisper, she says, I will take you places you have never been. 
I will show you things that you've never seen. With his mouth dropped open and clearly concerned, he just, he calls to her, Alma? As she turns back toward him, she then says, I will see the life run out of you. Then she heads back to bed. Don then goes into the bedroom and kneels down to her and touches her shoulder and says, Are you all right? And you can see a look of concern on his face, like she feels strange. And she starts to giggle. Next, we see Don driving her back to her place in a downpouring rain. And as they walk in, she kind of makes a comment about it. Do you remember the first time you were here? It was raining then. We then see he is clearly uncomfortable at this point. She goes to touch his face and he kind of brushes her away and which throws her off. She's like, what is it? He says, we'll talk tomorrow. She says, no, we'll talk now. He then breaks it to her that he doesn't want to get married for a while. Apparently, the strange behavior she's been exhibiting, he finally had enough. And she's like, well, when? He says, I don't know, maybe not at all. She says, you have to. He starts to kind of pull away and says he's sorry. Then her tune completely changes. The countenance of her face changes and she just goes off saying, you don't know anything. Me personally, if I was going to have a love affair with a ghost, I can think of worse options. Ah, oh, shucks. Did I mention spoiler alert? We then see Don having a nightmare in his bed. Um, he's dreaming of Alma in a boat on the water, just kind of staring at him. She's in a very beautiful outfit. The sun's just kind of shining on her. It's a beautiful setting. And she's just like staring into his soul. He wakes up in a sweat, trying to catch his breath. Don then uh, heads back to the college, uh, to see if Alma has showed back up and he's informed that Miss Mobley has not showed up nor has she called and that the dean is very upset and then he gets lectured by the dean and is accused of being lazy. He then goes back to her place to find it completely empty as if though no one had ever lived there. This part of the story is where she moves on to David which was in the opening part of the movie. Here we get to see Craig play both characters, and rather effectively. Don calls David's office from a payphone to talk to him, and David's like, Well, yeah, I got some rather interesting news for you, too. Apparently a month ago, he ran into a, a girl who thought he was Don. Called his name. Don then proceeds to warn him about her to stay away from her, and David, of course, just thinks he's jealous. And Don says, if you touch her, you'll know that she's cold. To which David says, yeah, I don't think we're talking about the same person. As we cut back to the table where uh, the men are all sitting around, uh, Don is finishing the story saying that when they broke down David's door, no one was there, that she had simply vanished. There had never been an Alma Mobley. Sears offers him a cigar to celebrate their marriage. Um... Uh, clearly in denial still of the story uh, but you can tell the other two are really shaken by this Don then pulls the picture out of his pocket and shows it to Sears and says this is Alma Mobley Sears then says I don't believe you and hands the pictures to the other guys John Jaffrey says I knew this would happen as if though he knows something Sears chalks it up to coincidence Don says, I don't think so, and Ricky concurs. Sears, in denial, just refuses to believe it, admitting he's an old man and he's rude. Jaffrey continues to say, I knew it, I just knew it, as Don then pulls the necklace out of his pocket and says the last time he saw Alma, she was wearing this, the same necklace that the boy gave to him. Ricky asks Don where he got the necklace, to which he says, Greg. And then Jaffrey just panics and wants to tell the story. We then cut to Ricky just having a sleepless night and looking over to his wife and 
trying not to disturb her, he gets up out of bed and just walks out of the room and to the staircase and just begins to weep. Honestly, throughout this movie, uh, Fred Astaire just shows great empathy in his character. Sears just tries to drown it in denial, opera, and alcohol. We then see Jaffrey appearing to have night terrors, honestly. Um, we go into his dream and see him standing at someone laying down with a sheet over him. We know who it is. But uh, he's saying, I told you, there's no pulse. No pulse at all. Then the corpse leaps up and grabs him around the throat. And we cut to actually he is strangling his wife without realizing it. The next morning we see her bringing a tray up to him and she's just cold toward him and she holds against him what happened the night before just ignoring the fact that he really wasn't himself. It, he was asleep. As she heads upstairs we notice a strange woman dressed in black waiting in another room. She sets his breakfast down, wakes him up and tells him that he doesn't really deserve it, uh, then tells him about him attacking her, and he just breaks down. You know, she knows he would never hurt her, and they make up. She heads downstairs to uh, see the guest who is no longer there, and then we cut to him in the bathroom. He appears to be having an attack, and he's calling for Millie, but she can't hear him for the teapot. He struggles to make it downstairs, enters the other room, trying to find his medicine. And she comes in the room, uh, Millie, uh, to see what's going on with them and mentions the other woman that was there and that she must have took off with it. He then starts to clutch his chest, saying, ambulance, ambulance. And as she's on the phone with uh, the squad, this is pre-911 days, uh, he gets up and goes to the cabinet trying to find medication, and as he is, this stranger comes up behind him. He turns to her, and as she pulls her cloak back, she's like, maybe I'll take a bite out of you. And then it turns to him, and he says, Eva? And then it turns back to her as a corpse screaming. Then as we see Ricky picking up the phone on the other side uh we then cut to jaffrey laying on the floor dead with a broken glass door dead from a heart attack we're gonna take a quick break but when we come back the time has come to tell the tale welcome back to the crypt of horrors you're gonna want to sit down for this one we're back at sears house and sears ricky and don are all sitting in the room by the fire and Sears and Ricky start to talk about how this is the worst story that they know, the worst thing that ever happened to them and they thought they could keep this a secret, should have known better, guilt and they begin to tell the story. Sears starts with Eva Galley, which triggers a shudder from Ricky. Sears says, there I said it, as if though it's a name they've been trying to avoid saying for years. And Don inquires, what happened to her? Sears says, it's obvious, isn't it? Ricky says, we killed her. Don says, you guys? They said, all of us. Ricky then starts with the Chowder Society in the spring of 50 years ago. Then Sears chimes in, that started it all. Then Ricky says, in the beginning. And then we cut to a scene where they are 50 years younger they're attending a sort of concert of stringed instruments, and some of the audience members are commenting on a peculiarly attractive young lady on the front row. They are all smitten with her, and they all seek her attention. They all, like jealous children seeking their parents' attention, fight to be the first to walk down the street with her, open car doors for her, open doors for her. And to be fair, she entertains them all. They're sitting in the soda shop, taking turns, telling her what their aspirations are and what they plan to do after school. And they all act like giddy little schoolboys 
getting attention from their crush. And honestly, one of them is kind of annoying. Then we're taken to what appears to be a gala or costume dance, to which, of course, she shows up looking beautiful and takes Edward by the hand and takes him for a dance. And then we see where they took the picture that they thought they destroyed. And as scenes flash by, we see that though she flirts with all of them to a measure, uh, she's really giving attention to Edward. Then we're treated to an ever-80s epic romantic scene of them in the boat and just a picture of romance. Then we come to the scene which eventually leads to all their trouble. Um, Edward is up in the room and can't perform. We then hear crooning from down below the window. Uh, his buddies are serenading them and clearly you see her disapproval and she then asks Ricky to take her home. Here we see them all getting trashed and it ends in disaster. A toast is called for to the mysteries of women, to which one of them says, all women are mysteries to me. Gee, who doesn't feel that way? Then Edward is asked how it was. Edward lies and says it was awesome, to which they all get excited and we knew it, we knew it. But, but they all get excited and then they all decide drunkenly to drive back to her place. I will say this, if these guys aren't really drunk, they are really good at acting it. Because I've been this level of drunk, and I'm not sure I could act this level of drunk. She invites them all in, and starts to play a record, and she starts dancing with John, and Ricky's giggling, and then Sears gets jealous and decides he wants his dance. John falls down drunk, and... Eva says, I think it's time to put this one to bed, to which Sears says, no, I want my dance. Edward stands up and says, you heard the lady, let's go. And then Sears jealously says, oh, you just want her all to yourself, don't you? I suppose you plan on spending the night. He says, no, I wasn't planning to. Sears demands a dance, and then Edward just tells the group to get their things says, get your things. And suddenly Eva says, wait, you'll get your dance. You all will. She then takes John and Ricky and kisses them and then comes to Sears and says, dance with me, you toad, to which he calls her a slut, to which she slaps him. She then realizes that Edward told them something. So she turns to him and says, really, Nettie, you told them? And then she turns to them and says, shall I tell you the truth? To which Edward panics and says, no, and grabs her and tries to pull her back and then accidentally throws her into a post, knocking her out, to which they think they've killed her. They all then debate how they should handle the situation, whether to go to the cops or not. Then Sears says, no, we have to get rid of the body where they'll never find it. So they take the car down to the waterway i guess the river and they stick her inside the car and then push it into the water and uh as it's sinking down you suddenly see her come to and start banging on the window trying to get out and edward panics and runs into the water trying to save her to no avail and the car just sinks in and edward is inconsolable though they try we Come out of the flashback back into Sears' home where he's saying that they agreed never to talk about it again, not even to each other. And any hints of her, they just chalked it up to the trick of the light. Sears said they went back to work and school and got on to the rest of their lives. And Don asked, but wasn't she missed? And Sears says that everyone just assumed that she got tired of it and moved on. He said there was a little bit of talk, but then it died down. And then Ricky says you can almost hear a sigh of relief that she was gone. Don asked if no one ever came looking for her, to which Sears says it was as if though she had never been here. And then Ricky says it was like we dreamed the whole affair. Don asked what happened to the car, 
And Ricky said, it's still at the bottom of Dedham Pond. Don asked, so you guys never left or went anywhere? He says, we couldn't. And Sears says, what else could we have done? Ruined four more lives? Sears is definitely a bit of an arrogant type. And um, Ricky says that we could have went to the police and took our chances, but we did this obscene thing. Like I said, Sears seems quite arrogant, whereas Ricky is very apathetic. Ricky asks Don if he thinks it's ever somehow come back, and Don says, yeah, I do. Um, whether it's growing older and the energy is just growing stronger through the stories or whatever. And um, Ricky asks if he thinks that's who killed their friends, and he says, yeah, and my brother. Don says he thinks Gregory Bate and the boy are helping her. And he wants to go to her house, and he hopes that they'll go with him, which they do head there. So the three of them make their way into her house, which is pretty much condemned. And uh, Sears says, we swore we'd never set foot in here again. Ricky says, if only we were 30 instead of 20, what fools we were. And um, Don says, you think she's here? Ricky says, I'm sure of it. And they look around and it's like, you want to try the stairs? So they start to head up. Sears, ever the cynic, says, nothing will come of this. To which Don, kind of frustrating, looks down and says, you want to stay downstairs, Mr. James? And Sears says, not on your life. As they ascend the stairs, uh, Ricky's commenting on the house and says, it's hard to believe how this place looks now. That it used to be so beautiful downstairs and up. And Don says, so is Alma's. As he starts to ascend the second story, he falls through the staircase and lands on the first story and appears to have possibly broken his leg. As Sears puts his leg in a splint, Ricky says, we'll all go. To which Sears says, he can't be moved. And they kind of dispute with each other and Sears says, I'll be back with help. Sears makes his way out to the car and Ricky makes his way upstairs and starts, uh, looking around while Don is laying on the floor pretty much helpless. And Don calls up to see if Ricky's okay. He says, yeah. And as he starts to look around, he uh, makes his way to the bedroom and sees Eva written on the glass in the dust. And you start to hear a giggle. And apparently the giggle is enough to be heard by Don as well. As he kind of uh, scarily looks up and Asks if anything's okay. Don calls out to Ricky to see if he's okay. And Ricky starts to come back down the stairs. And he says, yeah. He's, uh, Don says, did you see anything? He says, nah, just an empty room. But says he's concerned about Sears. Don says, he'll be all right. Ricky says, you know, people think I take too much guff from him. But he's like, I've been married to the guy. Sure as I've been married to my wife for all these years. Um, but he's just concerned about him. And then we cut to uh, Sears driving the car down the snowy road, honestly, quite fast. Um, I've had enough incidents in the snow to know that I wouldn't fly down the roads like that. I understand that he's trying to go for help and stuff, but uh, he's going down the roads. It would worry me. And, of course, up ahead, he uh, sees Eva or Alma. She's standing in the road, and as he uh, goes to hit the brakes, and the car doesn't stop, and uh, she kind of passes through the car. Then all of a sudden, you see a snow plow, which Sears tries to avoid, and starts sliding down the road, and ends up in the snowbank. As Sears comes to, uh, you see in a rearview mirror, uh, a face appear from the back seat, and all of a sudden, you hear this, uh, you hear Eva's voice saying, "Dance with me, you little toad." As Sears turns around, he sees a little boy in the back seat, and uh, the boy attacks him. And then camera cuts away, and all you hear is the horn. We cut back to Don and Ricky, and uh, Don's like, I'm sure he's okay. He probably just got stuck in the snow. And Ricky's like, uh, if everything was okay, he'd have been back already. Ricky hands Don the flashlight and heads out the house saying, uh, I have to go find a way to get you to the doctor. And he heads outside and um, goes out to the road and sees a car coming down the road and starts to flag it down. And 
I never understand this in movies, how you open the door and get in the car without even paying attention to who's driving. That's exactly what Ricky does, and he gets in the car with Greg. Ricky gets in and says, lucky you came along. And Greg grabs him and says, lucky for both of us. They start traveling down the road, and Greg threatens Ricky not to struggle or kill him right there. Ricky asks him why he's doing this, and Greg's like, would you like to live forever, Ricky? Because that's what she promised us. Greg goes on this spiel about living forever and how uh, she's been sleeping beneath the water and ice for all these years and waiting for this opportunity, and Ricky says, uh, she tricked you. You won't live forever. Greg's like, we'll live longer than you. Ricky pulls a knife from his coat and says, oh, no, you won't, and stabs Greg as he's driving, and Greg starts to lose control and takes down the mailbox. And The car rolls a couple times and lands on its top, and then we cut back to Eva's house where uh, we seem to see some activity starting to happen as far as like water coming out of the walls, and Don's looking at it and goes to touch one of the walls, and then we cut back to the car, and we see uh, Ricky getting out of the door, and he's actually going to go get help, and then we cut back to Eva's house, where we see the backside of this lady with a beautiful dress on, uh, walking down the hall and walking down the stairs, and uh, she grabs the post, and we see that Don sees something as we cut back to... Uh, Ricky is at the pond with the police and the tow truck getting ready to pull the car out of the water. Is stuff starting to make sense yet? Now we start to cut back and forth between uh, the tow truck pulling the car out of the water and uh, the house where Eva is making herself known to Don. And Don is just in disbelief. He squints his eyes trying to make sure what he's seeing is what he's seeing and Eva, or Alma, looks at her and says, Oh, Don, aren't you even going to say hello? She gives this lovely pun of, I thought you'd be dying to see me. To which Don just continues to shine his light at her and, you know, stutters and says, You're not here. You're not real. And she says, Don't be foolish, Don. You can see me. You can hear me. Don then kind of shouts, get away from me, and throws his flashlight at her, which of course goes through her, and she starts to giggle as we cut back to the car being pulled out of the water again. We see the car is almost out, and as if the Ricky knows what's going on at the house, he tells them faster, and we cut back uh, to the house where Eva or Alma is looking at Don and says, uh, haven't you been longing for me, waiting for me? As she starts to approach him. She says I've come for you. And he starts to shut her back. And he says you're dead. And she says and you will be too. Dead and wet and cold. We then cut back and forth again. From the car being pulled from the water. It's on land now. And being pulled back. And uh, we cut back to the house. Where Eva Alma. Is saying don't you want to make love to me. Don't you want to know what you've touched as she reaches out a zombified skeletal hand to touch Don and he starts to scream as we cut back to the car again? Now we do a lot of cutting back and forth as we cut from the car back to the house and she says, I will take you places you've never been, back to the car, back to the house. She says, I will show you things I would, that you've never seen, back to the car. Back to the house. And she says, and I will watch the life run out of you. As she pulls back her veil. And she becomes a corpse. And Don starts to scream as we cut back to the car. As Ricky gets the door open. And you see the corpse start to swelt away in, in the in the back seat. Well, the front seat. And then we see the corpse start to pull her way toward the out, uh, out of the car. Ricky backs away in horror as the corpse basically falls out of the car to the ground and we start to see what matter that was there on the bone starts to like rot away and become a skeleton and then we cut back to the house where 
Eva or Alma seems to have vanished and the camera now pans away from Dawn. Then we cut back to um, Ricky and the police and tow truck guy uh, kind of standing around the corpse or the skeleton and looking down at it. And then we focus on Ricky's face, which is just filled with sorrow, but also relief that this is over now. Um, but by all rights, he should face charges for this. But as far as we know, that doesn't happen. And we cut back to the house where Don is getting up now and going over to the staircase and leaning up on the post. And he's just kind of looking out. And then we cut back to uh, the familiar scene with the uh, the snowy area and the, the church. And we hear the church bells going and then we cut the credits. And with that, we will be right back to the Crypt of Horrors after this horrifying break. Welcome back to the Crypt of Horrors. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, th- this is one of those movies where you, you have the question of, did it hold up? For me, yes. I watched it when I was young. Not back in 81, of course, but I watched it when I was young. And I still feels like I feel like it holds up. Uh, maybe it doesn't scare me now as it did. It did scare me back then. Maybe now it's just nostalgia. But... Um, if you enjoy this, and if you like shows like this, I'd like to recommend uh, another show that some friends of mine do called Do You Even Movie, where they kind of do the same thing with uh, movies as far as breaking them down, but I would argue they do a much better job than I do, uh, and they don't just do horror. Um, they also do themed things. They uh, they did some through Christmas, did some through New Year's, and uh, but yeah, I, I recommend you check them out, Do You Even Movie Podcast. The hosts are filmmaker Enrique Couto and his buddy uh, and film aficionado David Neuer. Uh They are available wherever you get podcasts. And uh, if you'd like to reach out to me at all, um, I'm on social media at WolfDan on Facebook, uh, WolfDan78 on Instagram. Uh, or you can email me at MonsterSquad, the number four ever, at Yahoo.com. Thank you very much.